just a Stevie boy. Stevie boy. He's not your boy toy. Boy toy. He's just a podcast boy. Podcast boy. <laughs> you guys get ready for some sweet chin music. <laughs> some sweet pod music. How awesome was it that Shawn Michaels strutted out singing his own theme song about how hot he was? Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, but he was referring to himself in the third person, too, so that was weird. God, it's so good, man. That guy was a true, a true athletic performer. I think one of the all-time greats. I would agree with that, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Welcome, listeners, to Dead and Lovely, your favorite wrestling uh, horror movie review podcast. <laughs> oh, so why haven't we done They Live yet? There's like that 15-minute <laughs> <Yeah>. wrestling match. <laughs> that is kind of the perfect movie for a horror yeah. wrestling podcast. No, I'm just kidding. We don't review horror wrestling. It's, it's really kind of limited to They Live only. Um, and that yeah. Monster <laughs> Brawl movie. Isn't there like a Monster Brawl or something like that, uh-huh. too? And, and uh, Hulk Hogan's appearance in Gremlins, too. <laughs> Actually, we might have just found like a new podcast yeah. subgenre we should <laughs> wrestling attack. horror. Uh-huh. Let's go for it. <laughs> Welcome to Dead and Lovely, your favorite horror movie review podcast. Here with the host with the most, Uncle Ben, and who's that? Who's that wonderful sexy boy I got on the other end of the line here? The host with quite a bit, Steven Spratling. <laughs> That's a little twist there. Yeah. Well, I don't have the most. I mean, we can't both have the most. That's true. How have things been for you over there in them Hollywood Hills, Steve? Oh, man, pretty great. Uh, Got my movie pass card and uh, been using it, so that's been fun. What you been seeing? I I finally saw It, which was awesome. Really loved it. Good. I want to do that one on the show sometime. Yeah, we absolutely have to. I also saw on uh, its premiere date, October 13th, Happy Death Day. Okay, now I was kind of curious about this because obviously, you know, there wasn't a Friday the 13th movie this year, but we did have that kind of swooping in trying to kind of steal its yeah. thunder. It looked like it was a combination of, what was that movie with Tom Cruise where he kept getting like reincarnated over and over and again? Edge of Tomorrow. It was, I would say, yeah, like that. But of course that is obviously based off of Groundhog Day. Yeah. So it had a definitely like Groundhog Day sort of element to it and it uh, a bit like scream okay. um i wouldn't call it great for sure <laughs> would you call it a movie i would call it a movie i would say it was better than another movie similar to it that i watched mm-hmm. recently called the babysitter on netflix i don't know that one okay well the babysitter is directed by mick g who you'll know from directing charlie's angels full throttle and terminator salvation <laughs> um dude my favorite movies of all time okay. i know i know um i wouldn't say that the babysitter is good but i have seen a lot of people you know on the instagrams and stuff who are really enjoying it i okay. thought it was i thought it was bad i didn't like it. it there was there was some fun to it for sure but um i think happy death day was better and i don't I don't think Happy Death Day was very good. So, so what is the babysitter about? It's uh, about a babysitter who um, is trying to make a deal with Satan. That sounds kind of cool. It does sound kind of cool. That's why I watched it. But uh, hey, you know what? Go ahead and watch it. Maybe, maybe you'll enjoy it. It 
it did just didn't catch me. I, I wasn't a big fan of it. Now that's like a Netflix original movie, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I also I mean, I watch. Feel, I feel kind of obligated just to support original Netflix horror movies because I want them to keep coming. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I recently watched one that came out uh, probably last month or a few weeks ago mm-hmm. called Little Evil. It's got Adam Scott in it. It's fun. Like it's a yeah. fun horror movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's definitely like I mean you know it's like an omen type of thing. Except, uh, it's more grounded in reality. Like, I mean, I'm not saying, obviously there's a lot of devilry and uh, insanity in it, but, like, there's a connection between, like, the kid's devilry and insanity and the fact that his mother is getting remarried to Adam Scott. So it's like, uh, it's got it's got a cool twist on the old possessed child angle. Yeah? Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. That sounds cool. I'll definitely have to watch that, man. Yeah. I oh, I also watched Ghoulies this week, and I texted you about it. Yeah, I still haven't watched it yet. Is it the best? You gotta watch Ghoulies, man. Ghoulies is one of those movies that I remember watching as a child, and I mostly remember the box art. And so, totally, like, yep. It's been on Hulu for a little while, and every time I'd scroll past the box art, I'd be like, ah, that's so cool. It just looks, like, so lame and whatnot. But then I watched it again, and I was like, oh my god, this is insane. Like, Really? It, it's, uh, there's, it's directed, or directed by Luca Berkovicki, who directed a movie called Rockula, which is about a, vamp- <laughs> a vampire who starts a rock band. <laughs> I like it already. Wasn't that also just like, damn it, what was that called? The sequel to Interview with a Vampire? Oh, right, um... What? Yeah, it was whatever the name of the that that guy was. Was it Queen of the Damned? Was that? It might have been Queen of the Damned. I think you're yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So the thing about Ghoulies was I remembered it having little weird creatures in it, mm-hmm. but they're actually a real small part of this larger like uh, satanic cult angle, and. <laughs> What? Yeah, and it has the one of the weirdest lines from this real weird character who is called Toad Boy, who <laughs> does doesn't look like a toad. Uh, he wears like sweater vests and ties, but he acts so fucking weird. And at one point he says, "Toad Boy needs some sweet meats for his tum." <laughs> it's insane. Oh, and it has two it has two like little people minions from hell uh that are really like it's they're just strange characters. I really enjoyed it though. It's a fun movie to watch. Dude, like the older that that Kate and I get, the more that we look around and you know, we'll go to a restaurant, we'll see people that are like on dates and stuff like this. You know, it's uh-huh. obviously like the first date awkwardness and stuff. And we'll just look yeah. at each other and be like, "God damn, like if you died or something and I had to like go back to dating and try oh, to no. find somebody, no. it would be uh-huh. the worst. But I'm always thinking like, what would my pickup lines and stuff be? That would be my pickup line. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, excuse me, Miss Toeboy needs some sweet meats for his tongue. <laughs> what? Because the thing is, is like, if you said that to if you said that to somebody and they're like, oh yeah, ghoulies, you'd be like. Marry me now. Yeah, marry me, please. <laughs> that's, that's the test right there. Yeah, dude, I know what you mean with the ghoulies thing. Like, that's um, that's one that I always saw at fucking Video West and Morristown uh-huh. all the time when I was a kid. And I was like, 
I bet this would scare the shit out of me, and I never rented it, but I do remember it vividly. Yeah, the, it, it's all part of that, like, there, there was that brief period after Gremlins where there are a bunch of, like, knockoffs. Ghoulies is one. Mm-hmm. Um, Spookies, kind of like that or something? Uh-huh, Critters. Critters, uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they were all, <laughs> like, they all sort of meld together in the same way that it's like, Okay, so each of these is just a puppet. It's just a different looking puppet, and like all the situations are pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. That's but awesome. Ghoulies is one of those where it's like, oh, those little miniature things don't have much to do with most of the plot. They're just like on the box art to, to yep. draw you in, but uh, the plot is weird as hell. Really, check it out. It's on Hulu. Awesome. I definitely got to watch that, man. Well, uh, what have you been watching there, Ben? So, we've been watching a lot of stuff. We've had this really great streak here this month, which is really rare for us. Usually, um, it, usually in the month of October, we are slammed as fuck every weekend in uh-huh. October. There just always happens to be a lot of stuff going on, um, usually for us this time of year. The, the film competition we do, of course, we have a yeah. Halloween party and... Usually there's just other random shit that eats up all the weekends, but actually pretty much every Sunday in October that we've had has just been a completely free day where we have just laid around and watched movies and stuff. And gone Um, to church. Yeah, well, we go to church. Yeah. uh, Praise the Lord. And then we come back and we watch the movies and and just kind of drink all day and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and praise the Lord the whole time. Duh, obviously. Exactly. Exactly. So this week, while we've been watching some flicks, we've been catching up on going through all those Halloween movies that we've been talking about. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Sunday, we watched Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Awesome. Which um, was actually the first time that either of us had seen it. I knew more about it than she did. Uh Uh-huh. So she was more surprised than I was, and it actually wasn't even... I think it was like the next day we were talking about the movie... And she kind of like burst the bubble on me the same way that you did when you were like, in Freddy's Revenge, who is he getting revenge on? <laughs> because she was like, I was like, so what did you think of uh, of Season of the Witch? And she's like, well, I was kind of expecting for there to be a witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a warlock. He's, yeah. he's specifically called a warlock, isn't he? And it's like, well, why is it Season of the Witch? I know. And then, like, did you see the trailer? Like, the original trailer and stuff for it? I don't think I've ever seen it, no. Dude, it's just, like, this really slow zoom in on this, like, really sick-looking witch mask. Like, the witch mask that's in the movie, you know? Uh Uh-huh. And it gets, like, up to the eye, and, like, there's a human eye in it, and that's it. So it really makes you think that it's like, oh, it's probably going to be about witches. And then the poster art, there's, like, this fucking demon face in the sky and like the three yeah. little trick-or-treater kids it's like it's pretty misleading it's yeah pretty misleading. it definitely is you, you really don't expect it to have anything to do with stonehenge but turns no. out it does yeah it turns out that it does i i didn't hate it it's so fucking no. weird dude it is really weird it's a strange strange thing and it's like uh I think that novelty, like, of how weird it is, like, just adds to my enjoyment of it. I know. Like, I want to watch it again. It's one of those that I will definitely sit down and check out again sometime. It kind of reminded me of, like, other weird shit like The Stuff. You know, Uh where it's like, is this a horror movie exactly? Because it's it's just fucking weird. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a lot like The Stuff. 
Like, Which is great. <laughs> yeah, the stuff is awesome. The yeah. the stuff season in the witch, sweet season of the witch, and and child's play. They all yeah. have that like that commercialization element. Like there's yeah. a, a big thing about trying to draw out the horror of commercialization, which I think in the mouth of madness does perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like those movies do it in a way that you do question. Like, is this a horror movie? Like. I mean, Child's Play obviously becomes a horror movie, and, yeah. and there's no turning back at a certain point. But the stuff and and Season of the Witch, it's like this seems like a it's it's good satire, but it's not it's not quite as scary as you would expect it to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I I dug it. I want to watch it again sometime. And uh, we also watched Halloween Four, and just a minute ago we watched Halloween Five. Okay, how'd you feel about those? So Halloween four was okay. I actually uh-huh. think that I liked it better than two. I really okay. didn't like part two very much. Yeah. Um, Halloween four was okay. I didn't really like a lot of the leading kind of uh, actors and actresses that were playing the main parts, but there was some there was some decent stuff in there. We just finished five. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, before I talk about that, did you watch? Have you seen four? Yeah, yeah. I saw those way back in the day. I haven't seen them in a long time i remember not liking them okay yeah um it, again four it wasn't wonderful but five is really fucking weird man like it is it is kind of a clusterfuck of a movie where it's like <laughs> it was written by i think like four or five different people okay and it's kind of like they they all put their best idea on the table uh-huh. and then they and then they did all of them you know that's uh, that's real interesting because I I was thinking about that you know going into it because it, yeah. it had I believe four writers right um and it, it the original uh, screenplay by Kerry Fukunawa and his uh, his partner had basically most of it been scrapped right so like they had come in and and built off of scraps of this into another movie and they ended up with a really good movie and i was thinking like how like that i can't think of a lot of movies where you could see four or five names attached under written by um where it still ends up okay still ends up good and then so apparently halloween five isn't one of those yeah maybe not like there is just such a weird weird bunch of stuff happened in that movie the character of um loomis is like nuts in the movie uh-huh the the little girl who's kind of the main character in it i think she uh-huh. does a pretty good job she has Danielle to harris she she's yeah. uh she was also in the remakes the halloween one and two remake she played annie brackett wait yeah no way uh-huh that was her yeah she's uh she's in a lot of horror movies she's pretty awesome oh shit I had not made that connection that that was her, but it's like now I can totally see it. I can yeah. totally see that now. I had a huge crush on her. The thing about uh, Halloween 4 and 5 is despite the fact that I didn't like them, when I saw them, I had a huge crush on her. We were the, by the way, she was older than me. So maybe. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, dude, she's like nine in the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, she was older than me. Um, <laughs> You're like an older lady. <laughs> yeah. Now I don't watch the movie and go, oh, yeah. But I mean, you know, you know I watch the remakes and I go, okay, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That could be taken in such a wrong way. Out yeah, of context. absolutely. 
<laughs> hard edit on that. That's just going to get cut out. <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> but the, the last like 20 or 30 minutes of the movie where it's mostly her getting chased around by, by Mike Myers, there's some pretty cool stuff. There's some pretty intense stuff in there. But I'll have to check them out again. It's it's weird. It's up for rent right now on Amazon, so you got to pay to watch oh, okay. it. But I don't know. I'm still trying to think of if I liked it or or not. It definitely had some garbage in there, but it had some okay stuff. But you know, one of the, one of the things I've really been spending a lot of time watching this week. So, you know, sometimes at the end of the day, you've just sat down, you've watched a movie or whatever, and mm-hmm. you've got a little bit of time before you're about to hit the sack. But it's like I don't really want to start a show, or I don't really want yeah. to watch another movie that's when it's perfect youtube time you know yeah absolutely and a lot of times that's when it's like a buzzfeed video time or something like uh-huh. that but, just let them play yeah exactly but dude this week i have been giving myself a blast from the dang past and watching some angry video game nerd videos oh yeah, yeah. awesome that's fun because i hadn't watched those for like you know Oh, God, like 10 years or something like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'd like to report that they're still awesome. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine they hadn't lost much. Nope. Uh-uh. I really enjoy that stuff because, you know, it's just kind of like everything else. It's like I used to play those games when I was a kid and stuff like that, and I remember getting pissed off at the same things that he gets mad about. So yeah. it's always fun to kind of revisit that kind of shit. So, yeah, I've been kind of binge watching a bunch of that lately. You know, um, when I when I feel nostalgic on YouTube, I often go back either to um, Brad Neely's uh, Professor Brothers cartoons. I don't know if you've ever seen those. I heard about those, and I want to say maybe you told me about those yeah. like while we were in college, but I don't yeah. know if I don't know if I ever watched them. They're they're super funny. Um, I actually, just look up Brad Neely, George Washington. That'll really get you in the mood to see oh. anything else he's ever done. Is that the six foot twenty yeah. way to fucking time? I love yeah. that. He'll kick yeah. you apart, dude. He'll kick you apart. Um, he so Brad Neely is awesome. He also has a, a project you should check out sometime. You and, and Kate would love this. He did a complete. Uh, new audio track for the first Harry Potter movie. It's no. called it, it's called Wizard People, dear reader, and he reads it in this like really sort of ancient voice, and he's like <laughs> he gives like everybody new names and stuff basically. But it's uh, the same story. Uh, no, he he just he's never read the books, and I think. <laughs> I think he he said before he had done it, he had never watched the movie. So he just turned the volume down and recorded it. No. It, it's so awesome. Um, so like the first time he'd ever watched the movie, he just put it on mute and narrated it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is the ultimate and just tried to kind of like bullshit what was going on. Uh-huh. It's so awesome. That's it's the best so goddamn great. idea I've ever heard. Yeah. I'll also go back... <laughs> I'll also go back and watch Salad Fingers. Um, oh my god, man! Salad that Fingers shit is weird. Yeah, it's it's super weird. But like, I think the thing I've shown people Salad Fingers so many times, and I think the thing that I always love about it is that I am dying laughing, and they are just staring at me like I'm an insane person. Oh god, yeah. That yeah. that is one that soars over a lot of people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> They're so funny, though. My wife and I absolutely love them. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. Yeah, I got to love some old school internet stuff. And it blows your mind to think that, like, 
a lot of those things that we watch, like the fucking G.I. Joe PSA cartoons oh, yeah. and shit. Those are so old. Dude, that's what I was going to say. Like, those things are, like, older than some of my fucking students. Uh-huh. They're re- they're, uh, somebody released remastered versions of them. Oh, yes. It's and with, they're uh, awesome. the high-def videos. Yeah, it's great. So, <laughs> You ever get into some farting preacher? Of course. Ooh, Baba Kanba. It's <laughs> so good, man. It's so good, dude. Yeah, that's all great stuff. So, yeah, I've been binge-watching a bunch of that. And I've also been watching a little flick that is just perfect to start our month of no vampire no vampire (laughs) this month for the month of november uh in the year of our lord stone cold steve austin 2017 Mm -hmm. we are going to be watching nothing but vampire movies that you guys our loyal dead and lovely listeners voted on in our very special poll here and um the one that came actually in fifth place on the list of ones that we're going to cover this month is what we're talking about today. It's Bram Stoker's Dracula from, what, 90 or 91 or something? 92. 90 dose. Pretty mm-hmm. sick. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be chatting about that today. I I am going to try to turn this into something other than me just gushing about how much I like this movie for like an hour <laughs> and a half. I got to find some shit to talk about it in there because it could just turn into me being like, oh, I love it so much really easily. I've- I think the first thing we should talk about is that I I don't know what sort of uh, knowledge he already had about it, but uh, our mutual friend Mitchell Trueblood today posted on Facebook. Oh, oh, no, hang on, hang on. You speak for yourself, my former friend Mitchell Trueblood. Oh, okay, all right. Former former friend to Ben. Now uh, now I'm much closer to him since you're out of the way. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. Uh, you can you can fucking have him, Steve. <laughs> he posted today that he watched Bram Stoker's Dracula and he thought it was a piece of shit. So he hated it because he's he an idiot. It. He's an <laughs> idiot, dude. He doesn't like stuff that's nice. Oh man. Calling him I out. Cannot, I cannot believe it, man. Mitch, you're just a fucking piece of shit. I thought that I knew you. Oh man, this is real sad to see a relationship fall apart like this. I'm happy to see it go. I'm happy to see it go. Oh, you've got wow. a you've you've got a one year old kid, ain't even got no job, Mitch. Oh shit! That Damn. kid ain't got a job. That kid's been mooching off of their household for one whole year. I bet you know what you know what I've heard. Mm. Kid can barely walk. Kid can barely even fucking walk. I've seen it. I've uh, seen it. Drunk all the time, probably. <laughs> it sure does seem like it to me. Always babbling incoherently and shitting his pants and stumbling around everywhere <laughs> god damn takes after his dad <laughs> he comes by it honestly he really does <laughs> but yeah i couldn't believe that but you know what at the same time like i said i fucking love this movie but i can understand some people not liking the cut of its jib the same way i understand yeah. when people like don't like weird fucking giallo flicks and stuff yes. like that. I, I understand completely um, why some people wouldn't like this movie. We'll uh-huh. talk about that a little bit more as we get into our review portion. But, Stephen, before we do... Oh, yeah. With, with this movie being all about vampires, and it also being a little bit of a, a lovey-dovey romance that crosses oceans of time, I think it'd be a really good idea for us to try to sit here with each other and discover which vampire would we spend eternity with. You know, Ben, 
we often turn to the wizards over at buzzfeed for answers to life's deep questions and this is one i've been pondering for a long time so i'm sure that uh buzzfeed staffer crystal Rowe will help us figure this out i'm sure that she knows her shit absolutely now the first question here is describe vampires in one word oh we got we got refined we got mm-hmm. classic mm-hmm. pale mm. cute oh mysterious mm-hmm. or sexy oh man you know when i think about a vampire my my image of a vampire is kind of the the old school um you know sleek stylish vampire um, I like to think of a vampire as being a very refined kind of chap is my personal Ooh. image. Although, you know, one thing that I've always wondered, Steve, uh huh, vampires, as we all know, have no reflection. Right. But they are always so well, yeah. well quaffed and well presented. How do they do it? How do they keep their pompadour haircut in, in check? I know. Female vampires are always really well made up and stuff like this too. Like, how are they? How are they doing this? Now, what I really want to see in a movie that I don't think has been explored, I want to see like Vampire Year One uh-huh. of like a sexy lady vampire still trying to, trying figure to get it used. Out. Yeah, still trying to get used to like putting up her makeup uh-huh. without seeing it. So she goes out with like fucking, you know, lipstick on her teeth all the time and <laughs> blush halfway down her forehead and shit like this. That's what I want to see. It's like still kind of getting the hang of it, still kind of new to it, getting the kinks worked out. I've wondered several times, why do their clothes become invisible just because they don't have a reflection? Hey, like, what the fuck? Did they bite their clothes? Like, <laughs> are their clothes vampires too? <laughs> now that is something I would like to know about. Yeah. <laughs> they, do they bite their clothes? <laughs> And then their clothes are then immortal, too. <laughs> yeah. Now, for me, I'm going to go ahead and describe vampires as pale. That's true. They are. They are. They're pale. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Now, the next thing that we got on our quiz here is choose a body mm-hmm. part to let your vampire bite. Mm-hmm. Listen, I don't own no vampire. <clears throat> nope. Our choices that we have here are thigh, no... Just a right. flat out no. Uh, we've got a wrist, we've got a neck, an ankle, and a chesty. Ben, no. That's my answer. I'll tell you this right now that uh, I don't love vampire movies because I uh-huh. don't love uh, veins being penetrated. <laughs> That's true. That's kind of the I thing. I absolutely with you. hate that. And so I. Th- I never do this in horror movies except for vampire movies. I look away when they bite. I oh, yeah? Away. I can't I can't see. I can't watch it. It's so gross to me. Wow. So I choose a no. <laughs> just going to go with the no. You know, I think if I've got to go, I'm just going to go total classic and go with the old neck bite. I think um, these other ones seem kind of silly. Vampire bite in your thigh? That's just weird and awkward. So yeah. I'm going to go classic. I'm going to go neck. That's a good call. Now, Ben, where could you live for 500 years? 500 year? Um, Norway, mm-hmm. San Francisco, okay. Louisiana, Oregon, England, or France. France. Now, okay. Uh, indulge my homeschooled stupidity here. Uh-huh. 
I can't recall. In Norway, is that one of the places where they get like a six months of darkness kind of thing? Uh, I would think parts of Norway get more darkness than other parts. It's it's a it's a a long country, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a northerly place. Yeah, it's it's pretty dark and bleak during the winter. Yeah. I mean, I would like to think that if I was a vampire, I could probably get more shit done if I was yeah. in that kind of environment because I could be yeah. out more often. Now, I'm totally at odds with that because I am one of those. One of those people that gets the seasonal affective uh, disorder or whatever oh, real bad. Oh, he would be a depressed vampire. I totally would be a fucking emo-ass vampire. So <laughs> I like to think that if I was in Norway or somewhere where it was dark and overcast a lot more so I could, you know, be out out doing stuff, I could do that better. But I would also be kind of bummed about it. I'm just going to go Norway. Yeah, plus the okay. metal. They got lots of metal out there. Yeah, that is awesome. I mean, as a vampire, I think you could fit in the metal scene pretty easily. And nobody would really question. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I would choose England here. I, uh, you know, England is uh, the place of my ancestors. I've done a lot of my genealogy because I used to be Mormon. They're crazy about that. They are. And you know what? uh, You know what I found uh, is that one, anytime people in your family start talking about like, Oh, we're part Irish, or we got some Cherokee in us. They're full of shit. The moment yeah. you start doing your genealogy, you find out, yeah, you're probably not Irish. You're probably just English. <laughs> like most most people in the eastern part of the United States that don't live in Boston. Yeah, you're probably just British. And I am I am very, very British in my in my ancestry. So I feel like if I'm going to be somewhere for 500 years, maybe I could, uh, you know, hang out, find out where my uh, ancestors are. Maybe turn them into vampires, see what they're up to. Hey, there you go. And that's the bottom line, because Steve Cold says so. Yeah, I will straight (laughs) up stun you. (laughs) So, Steve, let me ask you, if you had to choose a place to sleep for the rest of your life. Now, this is a this is a kind of a pictorial question here. So I'm going to do my best to kind of describe uh-huh. what's going on you can you can drop an assist here because i don't know if okay. i can explain all this stuff very well the first one just kind of looks like a fancy hotel it's just very brown yeah. and beige and it's a full-size bed uh it's a little small for me yeah yeah you want to spread out a little bit yeah get some spread on now the next one here looks like a kind of a, a game of thronesy fucking canopy kind of scenario canopy bed it's yeah it's uh looks old school but still tasteful yeah, I kind of like that. The third one looks like a torture chamber or something. Yeah, it looks like a rack. I mean, it's probably good for the back. Yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, decompressing that lower back probably feel pretty nice. <laughs> the next one I have here is like a Rococo fucking gilded stupid. Yeah, it's like a, yeah, but like a day bed too. It looks like it would be in a room that was haunted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's, there's probably creepy little dolls with porcelain faces uh-huh. somewhere close by. Um, next, we got just a classic, crusty old coffin. Just a good old mm, classic. I, it does look crusty, too. It looks like it yeah. might have barnacles on it. They may have pulled <laughs> it from the ocean. It's a barnacle coffin. Um, and then that last one just looks like a sort of modern, contemporary, king-size bed. No frame, just a low bed. I have to pick that because, first off, I need my king-size bed. You got to uh, spread out. I gotta spread out. I I can't 
I lived most of my life on a twin bed, and mm-hmm. my my wife's parents bought us a king size bed for our our uh, wedding present, nice. and I can't go back. We once stayed in a hotel on our way out to California as we were driving across the country, and the hotel had two full-size beds. It was the first time we slept in separate beds in a long time because the full-size wasn't enough room for us. (laughs) Well, you know, if you get used to that, it really is so confining to go back to something else. It really is, yeah. We rock a queen. Kate's trying to talk me to get in a king next time we upgrade and stuff, and I'm like... I don't even know how we get it up our staircase, so I don't know. But I would probably, I would probably really enjoy it. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have to go with that canopy rig. I think that looks pretty cool. It does it's kind look of, cool. It's not like a full canopy. It just kind of goes over the headboard and above the bed part. But it looks pretty, pretty, pretty dope. So I'm gonna go with that one. All right. So what's uh, our next one? What's the longest relationship you've been in? Oh, I've never been in a relationship less than a year about a year one to five years five to ten years over ten years that's that's very easy this is an over ten year scenario my wife and i got married on our ten year uh, anniversary so <laughs> and i have been in a relationship with my wife uh we've been married for seven years and we've been together for nine so uh ten years five to ten years is, is my answer look at us here these damn long termers long time we are you know what we're we're very loyal good people and uh you know if you're listening to a horror podcast with people who haven't been in long-term relationships well you might want to rethink it (laughs) i like how we we divulge that information after we also say that you had a crush on a nine-year-old and i said i would pick up a girl by saying (laughs) what did you say toad face needs sweet meats for his tum tum (laughs) that's my line but we're good people we're totally good people. Yeah, and clearly the women that chose to spend their lives with us are not insane. Obviously. No, no way. <laughs> <laughs> I do wonder about them sometimes, though. No, yeah, definitely. My wife is absolutely insane for being with me, and uh, I thank her every day for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you, Steve. What's the uh, what's the biggest turnoff a mortal could have? That's a mortal, not immortal. What's okay. the biggest turnoff a mortal could have? All right. All right, is it some bad manners? Hmm. Or maybe it's that they're too boring. Right. Could be that they're selfish. Hmm. It might even be that they suffer from a little bit of that immaturity. Okay. They could also have a short temper. Hmm. Mm. Or they could smell bad. P.U. Smell um, bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say selfishness. I think that's, uh, of all these things, it's one of the things that... I've never saw anyone get over. So, yeah. Yeah. So selfishness. That's a good point. Yeah. That's just kind of a trait that is kind of kind of with you. You don't really kick that one. Yeah. Uh, boringness is is just a huge thing for me. I don't I don't want no fucking cardboard cutout human to share my life with. I, I I dislike a boring person. Yeah, they're not fun. That's for sure. Which quote grabs you the most, Ben? Mm. Forgive me if I have a lingering respect for life. I wonder if these are quotes from like vampires. And- I think I think they are, yeah. Okay. You surprise me. That is a rare quality in a breather. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to them, the children of the night. What music they make. Okay, that yeah. is from that's from Dracula. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come, let me show you what it means to live in the light. That's a lie. Vampires don't live in the light. That's stupid. So, I can bring you back to life. 
And so the lion fell in love with the lamb. That's from that's Twilight. Way too lame. Oh, is it seriously? Yeah, that's from Twilight. Oh, uh, it's so lame. Well, what would you pick here? Listen to them, the children of the night, what music they make. Because that's that's the jam right there. That's the jam of jams. Plus, I like the music. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> you do like the music. And the pizza. It's time to make it a pizza. Time to make it a pizza, Dario Argento. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I can bring you back to life. Oh yeah. Oh my God, Ben. Oh gosh. Who did you get? I got Count Dracula. He wants to suck your blood. Actually, he just wants to love you and keep you as his companion for the rest of time. As a Aww. former nobleman, Dracula would know how to treat you like royalty, like the royalty <laughs> that you are. Okay, so I'm spending my life uh, with Dracula, which is. All right, that's fine. I'm not I'm not gay. I don't think he is either, but whatever. I mean, if it's Gary Oldman, it would be fun at least, I hey. think. He seems like a fun guy. Oh man, he could be somebody different every day. That could be fun. Yeah. Yeah, he could he could play a different character for you every day. Yeah. That wouldn't get exhausting in a long-term relationship. <laughs> <laughs> it would be really <laughs> annoying whenever he decides to play. Dude, did you ever see a movie he was in called um Shit, was it called Tiptoes or Tiptoes? Tiptoes, Tiptoes. Yeah, <laughs> where he, where... Plays a, he plays a little person. Yeah, and, and it's, they didn't do any sort of CGI or anything. He just nope. holds his arms back and is on his knees. And it's not a comedy. No, it is very strange. What an odd casting choice for that one. <laughs> well, Ben, um, I got Edward Cullen. No, the Twilight guy? Yeah, as a relatively <laughs> young vampire, by vampire standards anyway, Edward would be hip to what your needs are and willing to compromise himself just for your affection. Your romance Damn. would be one that lasts through the ages. Wow. Wow, that is amazing. And, I, and we were saying I would be the fucking emo vampire. You know, <laughs> yeah, it turns out that apparently I'm into emo vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Man, did you ever, I can't remember, did you ever read the Twilight books? You said, I know you said your wife did. Yeah, I read the first one for a, uh, a literature class I had in grad school, um, and it was bad. I mean, like that, <laughs> like in class, we all agreed it was, it was bad. It was poorly written. Um, it, what it says about the readers is what I'm more interested in. Wow, yeah. Like, why do so many people connect with it? It's kind of like when, yeah. you know, Donald Trump won the election. You're like, what does this say about us as a fucking people? Yeah, but think about this. How many of those 62 million people that voted for Donald Trump read? <laughs> so, like, yeah. So, like, you think about the fact that it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's crazy that a bunch of people read Twilight. It's crazy that a bunch of people read a book. Yeah, I know. And that's one of those things that, like... You know, even whenever I see people hating on a lot of other, you know, books that have really blown up within our lifetimes, like let's say a Harry Potter series or uh -huh. whatever, you know, and, and even Twilight, it's like, I want to hate on that shit as much as I can, but I'm like, you know what? At least people are fucking reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least they're getting something. I mean, uh, Stephanie Meyer, author of Twilight, is Mormon. And oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the... Uh, from a Mormon perspective, the book has a completely different sort of meaning. Really? Uh, yeah, if you're really thinking about the fact that she's a teenage girl in high school who uh, is trying to marry a much older man. Mm hmm. 
yeah and that her family seems weirdly supportive of it which is uh something you will run into among mormon families is that marriage is so important that people don't think some things through like age differences and differences of personality things like that and, yeah. and that that actually kind of seethes underneath the twilight books even though i don't think stephanie meyer was meaning to write those things in there it's just such a part of her world that they come out and so yeah. like um you know some people would say it's, it's crazy to read twilight in a literature course but i would say god no you you need to read popular books to try to understand like what's up with these readers like who are these people right. and why are they interested in this yeah yeah a popular book or a popular movie is also a just little slice about what society is like at that time yeah and so that's uh, really interesting when we talk about this bram stoker's dracula mm -hmm. because this movie is so close to the novel like it's the closest um any dracula movie has come to the novel itself sure so like there's something about the 1897 novel that francis ford coppola thought would connect with audiences in 1992 and it mm -hmm. made a ton of money so it obviously did connect with audiences in 1992 right yeah now the book was the book a huge success whenever it was originally printed um it was a success it, it wouldn't be considered huge the real like the way that dracula became huge was in relation to its popularity as a film through nosferatu and and other film adaptations in the 20s and 30s right yeah that kind of spread the lore more than the actual book yeah did. yeah so people were into it uh, and definitely Bram Stoker's style was something that people liked at the time. He wrote epistolary novels. A, a epistolary novel is a novel that unfolds through letters and journal entries and uh, like newspaper clippings and things like that, which is what the, you know, Dracula novel and the Dracula movie do. They okay, unfold yeah. through various narrators' standpoints. And what it does, I mean, the epistolary novel is really old, and obviously I don't want to bore anyone with talking too much about it, but um, what it does is it creates a sort of realism because there are so many people weighing in on the events, and you're getting different perspectives and maybe even a bit different information, and so it draws the reader in because the reader has to dig through all this to find some sense in it. Could you almost say that like World War Z is kind of a modern version yes. of that? Yeah, exactly. World okay. War Z does that exactly. And um, so using that, and he's also using this uh, romantic style that was still popular and is still popular. I mean, and we're not just talking about romance novels here, but romantic meaning that like, there's some darkness to it and there there's a lot more going on with like the the there's some melodrama there's some mm -hmm, yeah. like passion that is not exactly always associated with love but there's passion in in everyone and everything they do which uh, again is probably why a lot of people don't like it because it's so so melodramatic sometimes and so overwrought and it seems so much like people don't act like that 
Exactly. Yeah. What do you think of the book? I love the book. I really liked okay. it at the time uh, that I read it, uh, which was maybe four years ago, maybe five years ago. I, I what I really enjoyed out of it is not only the multiple perspectives, because I had already read a ton of epistolary novels. But what I, I really liked about it was the integration of technology. Oh, right. Like the recording cylinders and all this shit, yeah, which was like use, brand new. And that would be uh -huh. like reading like text message from Dr. Seward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Snapchat from Van Helsing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it uses it uses the technology that and obviously technology didn't turn over as much back then and people didn't get news of new technology as quickly sure so, yeah especially if lived out in the country or something like that so you'd be reading this stuff and be like oh my god they can record onto a cylinder how could a man's voice be on a cylinder yeah um <laughs> they mustn't let woman do this and uh the use of a typewriter and also uh just some techniques that he uses in the book this isn't in the movie and we'll talk more about Mina Harker in the book versus Mina Harker in the movie. And sure. I, I have some opinions on that, but in the book, Mina Harker, uh, in the last bit where they all are coming together to go and, you know, take out, uh, Dracula's, uh, earth around London and, you know, find him and kill him. Mm -hmm. Mina is taking all of their journal entries and things that have we've been reading up to that point, and she's going through them and synthesizing all the information. In, yeah. And then giving it to, uh, you know, each of the men so that they can, like, better understand and, and better find Dracula. So, like... That's pretty interesting. Yeah, like, it's just like a character in the book using the book that you're reading to complete the picture. That's cool. And, and, and that's connected then to the Jack the Ripper and the mm -hmm. uh, crime uh, solving techniques used by Scotland Yard back in that day. These are she, she's using this advanced technique of how to solve a crime by taking all the information and synthesizing it and make sure everyone is on the same page and working the same case. So like all of it is like ahead of its time mm -hmm. and i think that's why you know when we get to the the film version the francis ford coppola version the way that he shot the film using all these old techniques it's like francis ford coppola was thinking if i could m travel back in time and yeah. make this movie with bram stoker with the techniques of the day around the time yeah how would i make that movie and, wow, yeah. And then that's what we, you know, this is Bram Stoker's Dracula is what we get. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at it, man. And I, I want to talk more about those techniques and stuff, too, because the way they made this movie is, is fascinating. Now, I read the book probably about a year or two ago. Uh-huh. And I'll be honest with you, the movie was better. <laughs> I will I will agree with you. And I, I, I know some reasons why, but why do you think it's better? know man i just i just thought that there was a lot of time which you know back then that's when they were still kind of perfecting writing a book you know <laughs> writing a, a, a book for entertainment they were still kind of working on it back then kind of a new thing yeah and um i just thought there was a lot of stretches of just like shit that did not fucking matter in that book <laughs> where i was like okay you know um and honestly, I feel like the book uh i'm not gonna say it's totally without merit all of all the stuff that happened in Dracula's castle, cool as shit. Cool as shit. Yeah. 
I really enjoyed those parts and like the first, you know, what is that third or so of the book that he's in the yeah. castle? I really enjoyed. And I was like, this is the shit. I was seeing elements of the movie, which I'd seen, you know, much before I read the book. So I did enjoy that very, very much. And honestly, I'll even say, which this is something I just kind of noticed this uh, this watch around of this movie. Um, I do think that the movie suffers a little bit of the same thing, where after they get out of Dracula's castle, the it, the story kind of drags a little bit. Okay. In my opinion, of course, but um, that's something that I kind of thought as I watched it this time. When was the first time that you watched the movie, Steve? Uh, I... I... Saw it in the 90s. I remember watching it, and uh, I think I, you know, I was maybe a tween, early teen. Uh, it didn't, I didn't like it when I saw it then. Really? I remember, yeah, I remember it being to me just like too hard to care. I, uh, there, it was, it's too, I would say, stylized for, sure. for teenage Steven, teenage Steven's brain. Now, wait a second, Steve. Was that back when you were hanging around Mitchell Trueblood a whole bunch? Hey, wait a what, I Listen, um, this... Okay. Hey, uh... <laughs> I, think, I think I saw it the first time probably about... Let's see. It was whenever Kate was living over in the in the Lakeland apartments down there in that, that basement uh-huh. uh, apartment that she had. Mm-hmm. I remember we watched it down there, and for some reason I also vividly remember we drank a bottle of Black Tower Rivener wine that night. Ooh. Okay. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. And then we fell asleep <laughs> afterwards, even though it was only like 10 o'clock or something. <laughs> wine will do that to you. It'll put it your will. ass out. I guess so. So I remember watching it that first time and really, really loving it. I really enjoyed it, even just from the first time that I saw it. And, you know, I can look at it now... And completely understand why I like this movie and why I dig it. And it, it's also kind of the same reason I dig a lot of those Argento flicks and a lot of those weird Giallo yeah. flicks. It has this dreamy, surreal, hyper-stylized, not uh-huh. even trying to stay within the realm of kind of what you said a second ago. People don't talk like that, you know? Yeah. But there's something about if you can embrace that as a style and – cast actors in it that understand that and that understand this is not supposed to be realistic. This is how you would talk. It's part of the style. Um, yeah. If you are a talented director and working with actors that get that direction and get what you're trying to say, I think that can be such an awesome, awesome feature for any movie to have. And I love it about this movie. I would absolutely agree. I do like this movie now and I I think it does have to do with the Giallo flicks that we've watched and discussed that I've totally. I've gotten more into that stylized and maybe over dramatic at times uh way of of expressing horror. Yeah. Um I want to talk a little bit about Bram Stoker before we talk about yeah. Francis Ford Coppola. Bram Stoker, Irish writer, uh wrote mostly uh epistolary romances he wrote a few horror things one of them being dracula the other is uh the source for what we would call mummy movies which is yeah it's uh called the jewel of seven stars it's basically about a mummy's curse and the mummy comes back to life etc that sounds like the title of like a really dope like nerdy prog metal album the jewel of seven stars yeah i would yeah i think i'd like that (laughs) 
<laughs> it's got great keyboard solos on it. Yeah. Um, he also, I mean, just in this, in Dracula itself, introduces something similar to a werewolf that we uh, would understand to be a werewolf today. That's true. That's one of his yeah. forms. Yeah, as the form of the wolf. Yeah. So, in a lot of ways, Bram Stoker is responsible for the Universal Monsters. I think it's amazing, too, when you think about it, that so much of what we know of, you know, vampire lore mm-hmm. is just all shit that he spun up in this in this one story. Now, of course, I'm sure he took those oh, he did a research. lot of folklore and yeah, stuff, right? He, he it's not did like his he invented research. the vampire or anything no, like that. No, no. Uh, in fact, and this is interesting, um, uh, Goethe wrote about vampires, sort of, and then uh, Polidori... Uh, there was this Paula Dean? Yeah, Paula Dean. Um <laughs> there was this uh horror writing contest between the uh, Shelleys, Mary Shelley sure. and Percy Bysshe Shelley and um uh James, I believe, or John Polidori, John Polidori. Um and uh Lord Byron. They were holed up in uh in a house. It was rainy and so they decided Let's have a horror story writing contest. They separated, wrote horror stories, came back and read them to each other. Mary Shelley came back with what would become Frankenstein. Polidori came back with something called Vampire. And it was about the slick, aristocratic type of vampire. Okay. And that predates Bram Stoker's, yeah? Yes, that was eight, uh, 1819, I believe. Oh, wow. um, and then we also have uh, Carmilla which is like a a lesbian vampire tale which comes along and then Varney the vampire which is like a uh penny dreadful type of vampire t- tale they all came before Dracula but they they didn't uh they didn't take all the folklore as seriously as as uh as Bram Stoker does in Dracula right so Bram Stoker had read there were uh tons of treatises and and things about actual vampire hysteria in Mm. the 18th century there were uh, like legitimate uh cases of entire you know villages and stuff every time somebody would die they would dig them up and put a stake through their heart and uh cut off their head and and bury them again i understand a lot of that stuff too comes from you know after you after a body has been settling and decomposing and stuff you can dig it up and it looks like it the looks nails different. and hair have grown yeah. and stuff like and like yeah. you know blood and and stuff will be oozing out of the mouth and yeah. they're like he's been up drinking blood and eating people and stuff yeah so i don't know like, why they were rednecks maybe they weren't i don't know they weren't <laughs> but i mean you know essentially they were there were also vampire scares in america around that time like it was a, it was weird because the connections between these vampire scares would just be people hearing about vampire scares in another village so they it was just this building in hysteria just like with the witch trials and things like that right so uh bram stoker was he was using some of that stuff using some history now uh the the connection between dracula in the novel and Vlad Tepes, Vlad the Impaler, is a little less like well defined. 
there yeah are, yeah there are a couple of lines that say it basically but stoker didn't do a lot of research into vlad if he did he wouldn't have named him dracula because vlad the impaler's dad was vlad dracul he was the oh. one named dracula and it means of the dragon because he was of a christian order of knights called the order of the dragon right yeah yeah and so Vlad, Vlad Tepes was just this much more brutal uh, impaler type of guy. But the the entire story of the opening of this movie, uh, aside from the, you know, his, his wife committing suicide, all of that is actually connected directly to Vlad the Third, Vlad the Impaler. Right. He he actually did fight the Muslims uh, and, and essentially... He was fighting them over uh, a non-Muslim tax that they had instituted on the area. So if you were non-Muslim, you had to pay a tax. Huh. Uh, so they they fought the Muslims over that, and they actually won. But, I mean, again, Vlad's not a great guy. He impaled some 40,000 Turks. Hey, uh, he was just trying to make Romania great again. That's true. That is exactly what one might say. Did he ever build a wall during his reign? No, I think he wanted him to get through so he could impale him. <laughs> It's true. He's like, if I keep them out, I can't be putting them on the stage. Yeah. But uh, the opening of this movie is actually pretty uh, historically accurate, aside cool. from the, you know, uh, meat wolf armor and <laughs> all that stuff. <laughs> that's really, that's really, really cool, man. Interesting. So Francis Ford Coppola, though, I mean, this is really interesting to me because the movie he does after this is Jack. Like Jack, which is that? That's the one where Robin Williams is uh, an adult or a kid in an adult's body. That's the movie he did after this. Yeah, uh, that's a little different. He he hasn't. I and I like Jack just fine. It's a fine movie, but again, it's not great. He did the Rainmaker after that, which I I don't think is too good either. And he hasn't done much of anything since then, really. Yeah. So this is the last great Francis Ford Coppola film. Yeah. But it would be easy to forget that Francis Ford Coppola is amazing. Like, he's done so much great shit. Sure, sure. Um, Godfather and Godfather 2 are the easiest ones to call out for sure. Yeah. And from what I understand, too, it sounds like his son Roman Coppola worked, you know, alongside him in yes. making this movie very, very extensively. That's an important thing to know. I mean, any anybody interested in film has to know the Coppola family because uh, Francis Ford Coppola's dad was uh, a composer. His mm. uncle was a composer. His mom's father was a composer. He came from that. this. Yeah, he came from this really artistic Italian heritage, and his his family extends into people that you maybe don't know are Coppola's Nicholas Cage, for instance, Jason Schwartzman. What? Uh, yeah. Uh, also Spike Jones's entire career really started off the fact that he was with Sofia Coppola and he had been directing music videos and things and he wanted to do a movie. Charlie Kaufman had written being John Malkovich. Charlie Kaufman yeah. was just working in TV and nobody would take up being John Malkovich. Nobody would do it. They like a lot of uh, studios liked it, but they said like, I don't know how you would film this. 
Francis Ford Coppola got the script. He uh, he liked it, but he said, there's no way I would ever do this. But maybe my son-in-law will do it. And he took it to Spike Jones, And so Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman's career come off of uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Jason Schwartzman, he's uh, the son of Talia Shear, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's sister. Mm-hmm. Sofia Coppola, there's so many in their family and people might say well it's nepotism okay maybe it's nepotism but if it is nepotism why is Sofia Coppola a good director why is Jason Schwartzman a good actor yeah I was gonna say they're they're kind of good at it too yeah like I mean you can uh pick apart Nicolas Cage's uh work but he's uh, if you've seen Raising Arizona if you've seen like so many good movies he's in he's really good I mean, let me tell you, you ever seen a little flick called Ghost Rider? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I haven't, but I hear it's great. <laughs> Best Marvel movie, Ghost Rider. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, like, the, the Coppola family and, and... They've done a lot for us. They've done a lot. And and uh, it, it is true that uh, they tend to... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola has tended to keep his family in the business. I find something admirable about that. I would love to have a child who wants to get into directing and, and you to can help have, them out. Yeah, yeah, to have that opportunity to help them out. That would be awesome. But I also yeah. understand there's so many people out there that don't have that in already that it's it's easy to get salty about it. It's easy sure. to be like, well, f- fuck you. Like, just because I was born poor, I don't get that opportunity. And it's fuck. It sucks. I yeah. also was born poor. I also don't get that opportunity. It sucks a lot, but it's also like you can't hate on somebody just because they were born to a director. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially when it's somebody is as, as talented. Yeah. Especially when it, it turns out they're really good at what they do. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the Coppola families uh, provided us with a lot of cool shit. They also and some as, mediocre wine. And some mediocre wine. And they also, of course, Francis Ford Coppola is the man who seems to be still enabling Victor Salva, director of the Jeepers Creepers movies. Uh, I've been thinking about that because of the fact that, you know, uh, we have the Harvey Weinstein uh, situation. What a fuck bag. Yeah, he's an absolute piece of shit who, uh, along with tons of other executives in hollywood have enabled a culture that allows sexual assault and absolute mistreatment of female and male actors oh yeah Uh, absolutely so absolutely And, and i'm sure that like just a quick side tangent about that i'm sure that harvey weinstein getting you know pegged for that uh-huh. is kind of like Martha Stewart getting pegged for insider trading, where it's just like, he was just the easiest, biggest name target to pick yeah. on. Yeah, he's not He's not the only one, for sure. Fuck no, not no. by a mile, and not even yeah. by a mile. So I'm glad to see that piece of shit getting shamed. Fuck that guy. So it, it will seem maybe shitty of me to give Francis Ford Coppola an out here with Victor Salva, but what I would say is that Victor Salva was his protege before mm-hmm. there were any uh, allegations and then absolute like the proof that he yeah. was a child molester yeah. um, when he got out of jail I, I I really wrestle with this because when we talk about child molesters it's like well fuck them like they're terrible yeah. people I don't want yep. them in my community I don't want them around 
But no. we haven't prescribed the death penalty for child molesters. That means they're going to get out of jail and they're going to need jobs. Sure. Um, I would rather child molesters not live uh, in the woods altogether in central Florida, which is actually a thing that goes on. Um, because <laughs> that's, scar that's scary as hell. When there are child molesters who can't get work and they live in the woods and, like, you can't keep track of them, it's really scary to yeah, imagine that's, that. That's, that is true, yeah, when you put it that way, yeah. You also don't have to give them a platform to express their strange and prurient interests. Well, and especially being in an industry where you encounter all kinds of young, beautiful people yeah. willing to do anything to make a name for themselves. Yeah, so I, I, can't, I can't fully excuse why Francis Ford Coppola keeps executive no. producing the Jeepers Creepers movies, but he is a good director and he has done a lot of good. I don't know, you know, like honestly, and I think this is good, but now that all the, all people are starting to talk more, people in Hollywood are starting to talk more about the terrible things that have executives have been doing. Sure. Yeah, we could find out anything about anybody and always have to end up going back and retracting, like, uh, any support we had for that person. But uh, Francis Ford Coppola is still going to be a good director at the end of the day, no matter what. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, Roman Polanski's a piece of shit, but it's like, there's no yeah. denying that it doesn't make Rosemary's Baby a shitty movie. Or Repulsion. Repulsion is great, if you haven't ever I've seen, seen that. I've seen that, no. Yeah, check it out. Um... So yeah, that's a tough one, but at the end of the day, Francis Ford Coppola hasn't done anything, yeah, as far as we know. Yeah, as far as, as, know. far as we know, we could find out, but uh, so he's not to blame for that. And his direction in this movie, I think, is extremely fascinating, because like you mentioned a second ago, that's that's one of the things I think that makes this movie so fucking cool, is knowing that this movie was all made, with the exception of one or two very small things, was uh -huh. all made using very basic in-camera tricks and effects. This this movie could have been made a fucking hundred years ago. Yeah, if they yeah if they had had. Here's the thing. I like just looking at like Georges Millet and yep. the Lumiere brothers and mm -hmm. stuff that was done by um, Thomas Edison's production company. Right. Mm -hmm. And you even see little clips of some of those movies yeah. in this movie when they're at that little yes. theater house. Yeah, exactly. You look back at those things, and um, they were coming up with visual language. They were coming up with the way to tell stories using video. Or totally. At that time, not video, using film. Sure. Um, so those techniques of like you know uh double exposures mm -hmm. um you know maybe uh playing something in reverse using miniatures and using even stop motion and forced perspective and stuff yeah those things all came about in the 1890s to the 1910s sure and it would be decades before they were perfected and taken oh, the yeah. extent that they're used in this movie but in theory, all those techniques yeah, in theory, that they use you, in this. If you work, had yeah. that vision in that period, if you had had that vision, if you had really been able to have that forethought, you could have put together this movie, except it wouldn't be in color. Right, yeah. And that's <laughs> that's the thing, man. Is like I didn't even realize that whenever I was watching this movie for the first dozen times. I've seen this movie a million times. Uh -huh. It was only after I watched all the special features and stuff that are on the DVD, which... 
if if you even remotely like this movie, I can't urge you enough. Watch all of the making of stuff that you can about it, and it will make you, even at least on just a technical level, appreciate this movie tenfold because it's like you said they went to such extremes to make sure everything was practical and in camera that even stuff that you just you would just not even remotely think for a second um about it being practical like when keanu reeves is on the train uh-huh and he's writing in his diary and you see his diary in the foreground the eyes yeah the eyes in the sky like that diary that's in the foreground is actually just a goddamn gigantic diary uh-huh and then, like, yeah, the eyes in the sky, that's them projecting that it's shit a projection, onto a screen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, like, the way they have the background moving at two different rates, you know, for the foreground and the, the background, that's all in camera. That's real. You're seeing real shit. Any of the things that happen in Dracula's castle. Like oh, him yeah. Crawling down the walls. Like, too, um, that scene in the movie in, and that scene in the book... It's insane how unsettling it is because yeah, it is. It's really creepy. It's like gravity just doesn't work. Like the mm-hmm. geometry of Dracula's castle doesn't work. Like remember when Jonathan Harker is escaping the castle, he like cl- crawls along a ledge and then steps over to another ledge that immediately makes him just be falling directly down. Like yeah, he, yeah. He, there, there's the geometry doesn't meet up the gravity is is weird like obviously we know they're they're like magical seals on his castle we see that when the you know the carriages are going in there's like the the blue seal yeah the blue flame that's that's like about the only non-practical special effect in the movie yeah you see those blue and weirdly enough probably the worst special effect in the movie that's true it does look like some weird star trek like reject shit yeah (laughs) but but that's something that coppola said um himself is that he just sort of imagined that while you were in the presence of a supernatural creature like a vampire that the laws of physics wouldn't really work the same way and i love the extent that they take that stuff too i love that like well you know even little stuff he opens up that bottle and it drips upwards yeah shit like that so cool the his shadow his shadow doesn't follow him yeah. I love that. Dude, that's something that I only noticed this time. Yeah, because obviously I noticed Dracula's shadow doing all kinds of crazy stuff, uh-huh. um, which I think is so cool. But I hadn't noticed that as uh, Canoe Reeves, Jonathan Harker, is walking up to the castle, his shadow is like reluctant, like, uh, I don't think so. And just sort of yeah. waits by the door. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of Canoe Reeves, let's talk about uh, the actors in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Now, Canoe Reeves plays Jonathan Harker, who's kind of the main character, although I don't really know that he's the main character. I think Dracula's the main character of this movie. Yeah, uh, Jonathan Harker is the main character of the original novel, but just I felt this way when I read the novel, and apparently everyone who's adapted Dracula basically has felt this way, that Jonathan Harker comes off as weak and boring. And so in almost every adaptation of Dracula... He's not the hero. Yeah. He, he, the hero status moves to maybe, you know, Van Helsing or the group itself or mm, even Mina gathering the information and all yeah, that. Yeah. Even uh, in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the comic series, I mm. highly recommend that. I, I love League of Extraordinary Gentlemen so much. Mina Harker is like the badass. She's the Sick. one who does everything. And Jonathan Harker is just this weak 
uh, you know, uh, easily uh, broken fool that she just has to take care of. I think the star of Keanu Reeves' part is his smoking bowl. Oh, absolutely. That is one smoking bowl. You know what? If if uh, the mask were to see that, he would say, smoking. <laughs> now, you know, obviously choosing Keanu Reeves for any non-Bill uh-huh. and Ted-like role is always kind of a risky venture. He, We all know how Keanu Reeves, you know, acts. He's very, very, very wooden. Awesome in John Wick 1 and 2. But oh, typically, so good. Yeah. Oh, dude, especially in this era, it's like he, he's a pretty stiff actor. But, you know... Again, with this movie, with it being that kind of surreal, weird, uh-huh. um, uh, um, I don't think it. I don't think it really distracts me at all. No, I think it's good. I think it's exactly what I thought Jonathan Harker was when I read the novel. So Very watching 2D, this, right? Yeah, watching this, seeing Keanu, I think he's making choices. I think he's choosing me to too. be wooden. He's choosing yep. to be a little. Uh, heart like it, there's no heart to the character totally. it's it's yep. that's i mean that's kind of exactly how he is he's uh he's this middle class character crawling up he's trying to become like the aristocrats he's trying to become like the rich people and so to do that he's just given up any semblance of a personality well, and you know, too, with with the way that this movie deals with kind of the romantic theme of uh, of Dracula and Mina kind of being uh-huh. you know, reincarnated lovers and stuff like this. Yeah. And also dealing with the fact that that Dracula is, you know, hundreds of years old and has seen and done so much in his lifetime. Yeah. I think that it makes the Dracula Mina love story even more tragic because he's like Mina is with mm-hmm. this guy that's a fucking cardboard cutout. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. I think that it makes that romance even stronger and stuff just for him to see that this is what she's settling for. Just this fucking yeah. basic ass boring dude. So I'm with you. I think those are decisions and I, I'm totally fine with it. And Coppola said too that, you know, before he got into movies, he directed a lot of theater. Uh-huh. And there is so many elements of this movie in the acting and in the dialogue and in the sets and stuff that is very much like a stage theater kind of play, you know? Uh-huh. And I think that the way that Keanu delivers a lot of his lines and even a lot of his dialogue and stuff it's reminds very stage me of, like, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, exactly, exactly. And you could even say that's also, you got to think early, early movies, early talkies and stuff like that. That's how people acted back then because they were coming off of being stage actors. So when they put them yeah. on the silver screen and put them in front of a camera, they were still doing this very big overacting, over enunciating kind of thing because that's what works on a stage. So it, it might have even been a little bit of that being time period accurate for the acting even. Yeah, when you when you need the people in the cheap seats to be able to understand what you're yep. saying, yeah, you got to over enunciate, you got to over you have to yell, you have to overact. And Yep. And so yeah, that's that's kind of how Jonathan Harker comes across. And like the Jonathan Harker story is different than the novel, but I think yeah. the character comes off the same. Yeah. The, yeah. The love story between Mina and Dracula is not in the novel and is sort of a creation of other adaptations, but I think it works well. I think, I think it works so well. This is one of those cases, kind of like we talked about on, on some of our other episodes, where it's like, you can take liberties with the source material if it's uh-huh. good logical decisions, yeah. and I think that's a great decision. Yeah, they what 
Coppola did was close a lot of uh, holes in Dracula. So he, instead of Renfield just being some random madman, he makes Renfield the former uh, law clerk who dealt with Dracula. That that then makes so much more sense. Um, Instead of having Mina Harker just be uh basically a secretary for all of these people she takes a a much more direct role because she has a direct connection with dracula and even though even though it comes across as a love story and of course she seems to be mostly uh enamored of him and and we would think like you know with uh with lucy he obviously is using his hypnotic powers to to use her and to mm-hmm. make her do his bidding but mina fights it because she has a different connection to him she's able to fight it and she's able then to be the one who in the end kills him well and also too you know he wouldn't want to just use mina the way he uses lucy because he he loves yeah. her he wants to be loved back by her and i think that he knows if he just glamored her and made yeah. her do his bidding like he did with Lucy, then it's not really love. He yeah, wants it wouldn't her mean to understand. anything. Exactly, exactly. So I think that's a big part of that too. What do you think about Anthony Hopkins as fucking Van Helsing in this? I think he's great. I think I love uh, it. I like I like how um, you know how cold he is. How he you know especially like after Lucy dies, he comes in and he's talking to Doctor Seward and he's like. I want to do a postmortem on her. Yeah. And he's like, you know, uh, you know, the, Dr. Seward says something about, you know, maybe this isn't the time for that. And he's like, well, no, I just want to, I just want to take out her heart and cut off her head. Yeah. Like he's so like matter of fact about crazy yeah. shit. He plays Van Helsing way over the top. He's just uh-huh. this crazy fucking German guy. And I love how like riled up he gets when he's like when he's kind of figuring out this is Dracula yeah. his old foe like he physically is jumping up and down and like yeah and he tries to lift excited. he tries to pick up the the Texan yeah yeah he gets like super excited and there's the the point where he's talking to Mina and then he just starts dancing with her yeah yeah because he, he's like charismatic he's over the and top. weird yeah oh, man yeah I love it I really really love his his portrayal in this what do you think about old Winone's writer Winona Ryder's great. I mean, she uh, obviously had she she had these roles down the the darkness uh, and and that still like longing romantic sort of feel. She had this already in Beetlejuice. She had it in The Heather's. Like, she, oh wow, that's a fucked up movie. Yeah, it is. She already had this character. She she's perfect for it, and she was the one who brought the uh script to francis ford coppola's attention right yeah 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 so because she was supposed to play uh sophia coppola's role in godfather 3 but had to drop out at the last minute and like that basically when she tells the story it's that she thought francis ford coppola would be mad at her and they sat down for uh a a lunch and he was just fine with her and she was like oh i have this script you might want to read and it just started this sort of obsession for coppola so she was always attached to it and she is i think perfect for mina harker in this i think so too and you know again you could you could probably accuse her of a little bit of the same stuff as what we were talking about kiana she kind of she kind of mm-hmm. acts pretty big she kind of over dramatizes some of the stuff but i just yeah. think it makes sense with the movie like would it make sense if you put her in 
uh, I don't know, The Lost Boys. Fuck no. <laughs> no. But to me, for this movie, I just think that it completely makes sense. So I like her. I've always thought she was just gorgeous, too. So yeah, I really um, enjoy her parts in this. We we then have we have Carrie Elways. Uh, this is our second week in a row talking about Carrie Elways. <laughs> it is the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, and he uh, gets to use his British accent, so he's just uh, a charming actor as Carrie Elways is. He's unchained in this one. Yeah, uh, I don't remember the guys who played Doctor Seward and the Texan guy. Um, Quincy. Yeah, I can't Quincy either. is his name. Yeah, I liked Seward. I thought I thought he played the part really cool as just sort of a crazy uh-huh. drug addict. They really play up the drug addict part of him a lot. Yeah, and that sick. that was I don't think that was in the original novel, but it it has like a it has like a Sherlock Holmes element to it. Yeah, which is interesting because uh, I I just read this the other day. Uh, Dracula is the second most uh, adapted character among characters from novels the number one adapted character for movie and tv is sherlock holmes and so really yeah so they they threw in a little bit of sherlock holmes into this and actually watching i don't know if you've seen penny dreadful yeah i fucking love it dude i was just saying the other day like i missed that show and i wish that Uh. like we had another season to watch or something Mm. for halloween here that that third season i got the impression that like I think they were halfway through the season and they got a letter from somebody like, Hey, your show's canceled. Wrap it up. Yeah, boys. That is what happened. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. They, God they damn it. had to wrap it up pretty quickly. I want them to at least like do at least like a one or two season series of Jekyll and Hyde. Cause yeah, they, because they started the it. Yeah, yeah. That guy was so cool too. He was, um, I, I had some problems with it, but if, if yeah, you watch, if you watch this and then watch Penny dreadful, that entire first season uh mimics so much of the novel but also bram stoker's dracula the 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 film coppola film Mm -hmm. it mimics it so well and i i really i found that the things that coppola did the slight changes like making seward a morphine addict etc it's good like it's 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 not the most important thing in the story but it it makes Seward makes more sense because he seems not the least bit devastated that the the you know Lucy the woman he loved has chosen someone else and yeah. then he's like I've always got my morphine <laughs> yeah exactly the Texan he also seems that way which uh, he this is a character trope from the late 1880s to the 1910s of the new money rich american who goes to sure. europe to get cultured and right. a lot of, like one of the things about them is that like it's more about the experience than like gaining something out of it so like you see a lot of those novels that the american doesn't get the girl and seems to just you know be content with learning something from this and Mm. so he the texan just seems he seems to have had fun with lucy because she wants to see his big dick knife yeah and and that's it he's fine with it again too so i i really like those the way that it all then comes together this great vampire hunting team like this comes together like vampire avengers (laughs) yeah there you go it pretty much does man and you know one of Doctor Seward's wards at the Nut House that he that he runs uh-huh. to is, I think, just one of the coolest bits of fucking casting in this movie, which is 
Tom fucking Waits yeah. playing crazy old deranged Renfield. Uh-huh. Uh, I absolutely love that. I think that he is fucking awesome. Obviously, obviously, we're both big Tom Waits fans, as this yeah. is a podcast called Dead and Lovely. Uh-huh. Um, Tom Waits is the shit, and I love the way he plays the character so much, man. His fucking voice and his mannerisms and the way he delivers. Dude, the way he delivers those lines, like, yeah. yes, a kitten. <laughs> and all that shit, yeah. it's so and good. Yeah, this is interesting because you think of... Uh, David Johansson, who we talked about in our um, Tales from the Dark Side episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. David, yeah. David Johansson, a musician who goes into acting and also adopts this sort of over-the-top way about him, but it still comes off as fake and acty. It doesn't come off the way that Tom Waits as Renfield playing this crazy, like... Uh, let's say substance obsessed individual he does it so well because it's real for him like he he he's able to draw on that because he's like well i've i've had my you know substance abuse issues and so if it's if it's eating bugs or it's you know uh any other sort of drug i know how to play that and he plays it so well he's also fluent in werewolf speak so there's that too (laughs) that is true (laughs) <laughs> he does. He does speak werewolf. He speak of the werewolf, but of course, uh-huh. kind of the, the crowning jewel of this movie is Gary Oldman as Dracula, and oh, yeah. I think that it was, it was several times into watching this movie that I realized it was him because he is an utter mm-hmm. chameleon of an actor, especially in this time period when he was doing stuff. You know, from stuff like this to like The Fifth Element. Yeah. Um, all these different parts where he is playing these characters. I mean, dude, fucking True Romance. Him and True Romance is that like yeah, piece of shit, like thug dude? Yeah, he he really, in this era, just goes into characters and disappears. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it was very many views in before I realized, wait, that was Gary Oldman. Um, I, I love the various ways he's portrayed in the movie, too. We get the super decrepit, aged Dracula uh-huh. at the first yeah. of the movie with the weird... And, and, you know, again, this is one of those things, fucking Mitch, fuck you, that I see people <laughs> talking about. His his crazy hair and stuff. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. He's wearing uh, a geisha outfit. These are all like kabuki and Japanese theater yeah. outfits. Well, I, like I, I read that uh, Coppola basically said to all of his art designers and, and things like that, bring me the thing you've been thinking of that gives you nightmares. Wow. And, uh, and so that's why we get crazy kabuki, geisha, ancient vampire. We get meat wolf clad young Dracula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like you, we get these different designs that are, Oh, uh, Lucy in that insane, uh, wedding dress. Yeah. The weird lizard frill dress. I want to talk more about the costumes later. Yeah, With just like the blood all over her face. Yeah. So uh. like all of that, you get that, uh, just that feel of like oh this is somebody's nightmare this is someone's nightmare they've dreamed of this and it it haunts them oh yeah and then we also get him as like young romantic dracula after he arrives uh-huh. in England. yeah he read a pickup artist book he comes in peacocking <laughs> he, he's got some close-up magic where he makes you think your tears turned into diamonds <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he nags you a little bit. I don't know. 
I think you're onto something right uh, there, man. He was he was the OG pickup artist. Uh, he got those. He's got those blue sunglasses on. I looked oh, that up dude. though. Actually, that is that is uh, period accurate. Really? Uh, yeah, blue and green lenses were huh. were most most common in England at that time. So tight, dude. And then we also get him in his various transformations, which that's actually Gary Oldman in like the Wolfman costume and the I Batman know. costume. It's crazy. So sick. He plays different characters. Like the it, even though they are all essentially Dracula, young Dracula, romantic Dracula, old Dracula, like old bitter Dracula, the uh, Wolfman Dracula. Oh, even they, there's even transition Dracula where he's like when Mina marries Jonathan and he's like between wolfman and regular dracula he's like yeah, fate, dude. and he's crying tears of blood like oh he, it's so sick he plays these different characters when the makeup is different like even yeah. though the soul of it's the same it's a different incarnation each time and i gotta say dude i absolutely fucking love the way they did the bat form and the wolf form uh-huh. in here. Dude, the bat form of him. Yes. He's got that like flat, like almost like Voldemort nose where it's just kind of yeah. like nose slits like what a bat has. Uh-huh. And he looks like greasy and shiny and fucking nasty. <laughs> and then even some of those bat-like features are even present in the wolfman form too. Yes. Where he's kind of, you know, he doesn't have the elongated dog-like snout that you usually see. Yeah, no, it's more of the, the short like, slit nose yeah. yeah i love i love those looks in this i still think those are two of the coolest looking you know vampire bat and wolf forms that we've seen in a movie to date i think that it's amazing and he went to such great lengths too that he even worked with a vocal coach to learn how to just drop his speaking voice down um the article said huh. an octave but it's not literally an octave right um, but if you think about gary oldman's normal speaking voice and then you think about him talking with harker being like i never drink blood yeah you know i never drink wine sorry yeah um the voice is completely different from his normal speaking voice so he really did go to great lengths to make this character believable yeah and it's great like i you know there there is some element where it's it's a bit hokey to hear like i want to oh yeah yeah. it's a bit hokey but it seems natural like he doesn't do it as as i don't know over the top as he could have it could have turned out a train wreck it yeah really he could've. even though he's still doing the i want he's still doing the sort of uh cadence of uh the, the 19 19- yeah, yeah the 1932 boris karloff dracula he he does it still more subdued and mm. he I don't know though. There are moments where he obviously like in the book, this is exactly how it happens. He suddenly out of nowhere flies into a rage. And so the way that he does it in the film is, is great. He goes from like laid back smooth to like flying into a rage, pointing a sword at you. Like, yeah, because he is still Vlad the Impaler, like great warrior that has fucking murdered a million people before he's Uh even a vampire. Yeah, so he's... It's just dumb luck, I guess. In the, the in this movie, it's dumb luck that the guy who's sent to his castle in Transylvania happens to be engaged to 
the woman who who he whose soul he was once married to uh, I th I think maybe like the that's the one flaw in uh, Coppola and um, who's the, the writer James Hart trying to close all the the plot holes in the novel is that mm -hmm. this one thing is a, a little outlandish. I know to, when talking about a, a movie about a vampire to say that something as simple as, uh, you know, the guy they happened to send to his castle also happened to have the uh, fiance who was, you know, the reincarnation of his former lover. I got it, you. He's it, outlandish, but it is outlandish. It's 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 hard. It's less defined than the rules of vampirism and right. harder to believe. And you can even say that that's kind of addressed in the movie where whenever Dracula picks up the photograph of her and he asks Harker, he's like, do you believe in destiny or do yeah. you believe in fate or something like yeah. that? It's kind of like, that's always kind of the, you know, the ace in the hole to explain away any yeah. incredible destiny. coincidence. It's like, ah, whatever, it's fate, it's destiny. And I think that the, the kind of reincarnation theme that runs throughout this movie, I find is extremely, extremely fascinating, um, especially when you deal with let's just say kind of the typical romantic notion of, you know, two souls falling in love yeah. over and over through time. And we also get the reincarnation thing too in that, in that opening scene um, with, you know, Vlad the Impaler and it's not Mina. It's uh yeah, I can't remember his wife's name. Yeah. Whatever her name was in the original timeline and the priest that like damns her because she killed herself is played by Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, played yeah. by Van Helsing. So you kind of get this impression that like these souls are constantly locked together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like in that lifetime, that soul fought Vlad as the priest, and in this lifetime, he fights him as Van Helsing. Now, as far as like Dracula and the character of Mina are connected. I think that that's really fascinating when, like I said, when you factor in the typical romantic notion of two souls falling in love over and over throughout time. Because basically, I wonder if there is a timeline where if, let's say, that Vlad had not become an immortal, you know, vampire, if he just would have died, you know, uh -huh. within his lifetime, if he would have been born in London during that time period and they would have fallen in love again. But the thing is, is that he kind of broke the cycle of these two loves, you know, falling in love and dying and being reborn right. together and falling in love again. He broke the cycle by condemning God and damning God and all this stuff and turning to the life of a vampire. He broke the cycle and never died. So he lived through seeing his destined lover be reborn again and this time though she's destined for somebody else because he never died because he broke the cycle you know what i mean yeah i think it's fascinating and yeah so like he he renounces god and uh stabs a crucifix and blood pours out and he basically is like i will you know i'll i'll get my revenge etc yeah so like yeah it, it seems like by doing that he he makes it so that he can't be with her yeah exactly because it's yeah. like imagine i mean imagine if if you you know within your lifetime if you if it with let's say let's say within our lifetimes like let's say uh -huh. that let's say that one of our wives dies or whatever okay. and then the, you know the cure for aging is invented and you and i uh -huh. get to experience it and we we take this pill and we never age and then within our lifetimes we see a reincarnation 
of your wife or my wife. And uh-huh. we're like, oh, my God, it's you again. And they're like, I don't know who you are. Stay away. Oh, Can you imagine man. how heartbreaking that would be? And then to see, like, that they're spending their life with this fucking cardboard cutout Keanu oh, Reeves character. Yeah. How brutal that would be on your heart. Yeah. Um, I think that that is one of the most just, like, agonizing things in the world. And that's something that they explore in this movie that I think is so cool what if you got to see your lover get reincarnated and they didn't even know who you were and you didn't get to experience it because you're immortal and didn't die that's fucking crazy dude yeah i mean i guess the moral of the story is don't be too metal (laughs) yeah don't go too metal dude this movie does go very metal yeah because i mean (laughs) that armor that he's wearing in the beginning that oh, yeah. is insane, right? Like, it's a meat wolf. Like, it, it's just a, it's like a, a wolf man made out of meat. And you know what, Stephen? While we're talking about that particular meat armor, <laughs> let's just, <laughs> let's just address a little concept we started talking about the other night. And I thought, I thought about this some more. Okay. This movie is actually a very thinly, very thinly veiled commercial to advertise Arby's. Arby's roast beef, yeah. You might even say it's thinly sliced. <laughs> he is clearly wearing a roast beef armor. That's He's wearing obvious. a roast beef armor. Yeah. That's obvious. Now, the, the woman that plays Lucy, not a natural curly redhead. She naturally has straight, dark mm-hmm. hair, but they replaced her hair and dyed it and curled it to make it look obviously more like Arby's famous curly fries. Obviously. It's right there. There is a scene where they slice up some roast beef. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, it's it's right there in the tavern. This was the weirdest line to me. Van Helsing slicing the roast beef. He says, who'd like a beef and cheddar? <laughs> hey, you know what they call the, the Texan in here? Big Montana. They do. They call him Big Montana. It's, <laughs> yeah. You know what? That makes, it's all making sense to me now. And and they even also went as far as to replace some of the props and stuff like this with actually uh, actual Arby's menu items. Like when whenever they do the blood transfusion uh-huh. scene, did you ever notice how during that transfusion it, it doesn't really look like blood? It looks like a Jamocha shake. No, that's Arby sauce. It's Arby sauce? That's oh, Arby man. sauce. And hey, do you <laughs> think that's absinthe that they're drinking? No. That's a shamrock shake. <laughs> <laughs> they went over to McDonald's for that one. Oh, damn. Is that a McDonald's? That's <laughs> <laughs> close. <laughs> Edit. I, I really just wish in 1992 there had been an Arby's tie-in, like, kids meal. Yeah. Where, where you get your favorite Bram Stoker's Dracula character, Wacky Racer. <laughs> you don't have to cross oceans of time for this bargain. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that meat armor is something else, though. And and that kind of brings you to another thing I want to talk about, which is, man, I think the costumes themselves are one of the stars of this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I cannot remember her, her name. It's Aiko something oh, or another. The costume designer? Yeah, I can't remember either. She won an Oscar for this. Uh, deservedly so yeah oh yeah man because the costumes and stuff we see throughout the movie are unbelievable and some of them are just very period accurate you know suits and stuff like this like a lot of the men wear but Uh like we said the crazy like uh kimono kind of thing that dracula is wearing the completely nuts wedding dress that lucy has with the big so crazy yeah 
Oh, man. Absolutely beautiful costumes. And then even, dude, like one of my favorites, That it's just one of those bizarre choices. It's just one of those bizarre choices that my brain never would have leapt to if I was making this movie and designing costumes for it. Uh-huh. Um, at the very end of the movie, you know, during the final chasing up to Dracula's castle, uh-huh. the robe that he is wearing is like Gustav Klimt's The Kiss. Yeah, yeah, they they actually the first time you see that is uh when they're in the early scenes in the castle and yeah. uh, Jonathan Harker is sneaking around and then he pops up out of his his uh casket or whatever and he's mm-hmm. wearing that robe and yeah, it's The Kiss. Exactly. Such a weird choice, man. And that's the thing that I think is so cool is whenever you have a bunch of immensely talented people like Coppola and Echo, and they're making these completely crazy, crazy decisions, but there's a trust involved. There's a trust that, you know, listen, I know it sounds weird that like Dracula's going to be wearing a a kimono and have like big butt hair, but (laughs) trust me, it's going to work. I think that's amazing to see that kind of creative trust going on between the people working on this film. Do you think that when they made that butt hair, they really just thought, like, eventually Simpsons is going to do this in a treehouse of horror with Mr. Burns, and it's going to look really funny? <laughs> Did they do that? Yeah, there's awesome. yeah, there's a Mr. Burns where he's, uh, or a treehouse of horror where Mr. Burns is, like, Dracula in this. That's awesome. awesome. Dude, I'm so, I'm so Simpsons ignorant. I gotta catch that shit up. Oh, man. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. <laughs> What do you think about some of the uh, some of some of the cinematography and stuff in this flick? Man, the the color choices, the the shots, like I, you know, some of the shots are these real simplistic, like you know, shots you would see from a nineteen ten nineteen twenties type of movie. But like, just for instance, in the opening with the um, the scene after the battle, when you see all the impaled soldiers. And yeah. in the background, the it, it it's mostly all black, but this like uh sky like blood red sky. Mm-hmm. It just gorgeous, just perfectly yeah. expresses exactly what the scene should express. I think they do that a number of times where they use like uh you know the the foreground is blacked out and then you just get the color of the sky that helps yeah. express the emotion of what's going on in the scene. And not really distract like you. Yeah, really enjoy those. What about you, Ben? What, what What's your favorite moment in here, cinematographically? I don't know if I could single out a particular favorite moment per se, but like some of the things that really stick out to me, I absolutely love the look of Dracula's castle, which was based on yeah. a painting by somebody I don't remember. <laughs> um, but it's so fucking weird, like... Who makes the decision that Dracula's castle should look kind of like a guy sitting on a throne? That's so badass. But it's like yeah. incomplete and constantly like being built, um, which is something they talk about in the book, how they're constantly, the castle's constantly under construction, like all the time they're adding new shit to it. So in Dracula's castle, it's not this pristine, ancient thing. Like if yeah. you look, there's like scaffolds and shit all over it. Yeah, It's really cool. So I love that. And I also really love... A lot of the scene-by-scene transitions, they're very, like, hypnotic and dreamy. Like that one where you've got Lucy and Mina in the garden, and Uh those peacock feathers really slowly drift in front of the camera. 
but then like the eye of the peacock feather becomes the tunnel that Harker is going through on the train. Yeah. Dude, those transitions I think are so fucking cool and there's a million of them in the movie yeah there's there's one where they zoom in on lucy's the the vampire bite on her neck and it it transitions into the eyes of a wolf yeah yeah oh it's so sick man i think that that kind of stuff is is amazing the sets and everything are unreal that last chase scene up to dracula's castle with the the bright white snow and that crazy like orange red sky Uh i think that is so striking I wonder visually. I wonder how much cuz I I remember the descriptions of Dracula's castle in the novel a little bit in particularly remember, you know, the, the movie here. I wonder how much of that might be based off of H.H. H. Holmes' murder murder castle in Chicago. Oh yeah. Uh, where H.H. Uh, H. Holmes was a serial killer same time as uh as uh, uh Jack the Ripper. But he built this murder castle in Chicago that uh, he kept hiring new contractors and firing them and having, you know, like staircases built to nothing and mm. uh, rooms that, you know, you, you go in and then you can't really figure out how to get out and things like Whoa. that. I wonder how much that was in Stoker's mind and how much that was in uh, Coppola's mind for this. Whoa, is that is that kind of like the Winchester mansion that's constantly being uh, built on? Well, kind of. I mean, the Winchester mansion, the the widow uh, had been told basically that as long as she didn't ever stop building the house or, or something, there wouldn't be a curse on her. H.H. H. Holmes was particularly building a castle he could use to murder people. He would, <laughs> he would invite them in to stay and then start chasing them in the night, and then, you know, they would go into these doors that would you know lead nowhere or they'd run up a stairwell and open the door and fall like two stories how is there not a a horror movie about this dude uh i don't know Uh, hh holmes that would be terrifying hh holmes is uh some terrifying shit uh read about him if you're interested in disgusting serial killers i think i just might do that steve Mm -hmm. what do you think of the uh of the soundtrack in this flick uh, yeah, so that it's interesting because it seems like it seems like what you might hear if this were made as a silent film. It seems mm-hmm. like the music you might hear played while watching it as a silent film. Wow, yeah, it really does. That's a good point. I'm thinking about those main themes like the really yeah. big dramatic like yeah. let me spell out for you with music what the emotion you should be feeling in the scene is exactly. dread and drama and even like one of my favorite pieces in the movie is that it's i think it's played several times throughout there but i think the first time that you hear it is whenever we're with lucy and mina and we're kind of meeting all the potential suitors in the parlor of that that big home uh-huh it's this really dreamy like sounds like harpsichord and bells and a bunch of stuff uh-huh it's this really just like hypnotic dreamy sounding piece i think it is so fucking memorable and cool man yeah it, it like it's it works really well again like i i'm starting to understand more and more why people would dislike this because yeah it, it is alienating it it almost tells you like forget the last 70 years of filmmaking mm-hmm and just, let's just take a big jump back yeah let's take a big jump back and see what we can do with that 
and so it's it's hard to maintain interest but i mean you look at how much money the film made and how well it did in the box office it's like well obviously a lot of people did get it or did like yeah. it and did enjoy it which i find surprising this movie's weird as fuck it's absolutely weird as fuck so yeah i i'm i'm interested to hear how other people perceive this and and yeah, what it too. The, the way that they get it. But for me, I really like this movie and like the way all of the elements come together to have an old but new feel. Definitely so, man. Definitely so. So, Stephen, with all those things in mind, what are your final thoughts about this movie? And how would you give it a rating on a scale of Uno to 10? Uno to 10. <laughs> <laughs> That's Spanish number 10. Um, <laughs> well, okay, so... I obviously uh, like this. I've I've not I've not been uh, too uh, mysterious about that up to this point. I I loved the novel. I think this is a perfect adaptation of the novel. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine someone trying to use more updated film techniques to really capture the novel because this novel was technologically advanced. And so to try to capture that and to really stick with it in your filmmaking is a, a real creative and interesting way to go about it. Dude, that's exactly what they're going to be saying in a hundred years about the emoji movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that's going to be, they're going to be like, you know what? Let's talk about some of the great films of the early 21st century. The Emoji Movie. <laughs> Spoke of the times. When Wanted. People began, when people uh, quit talking and started communicating through tiny pictures pre-programmed into their cellular <laughs> devices. <laughs> um, I, I really like the acting, love the costumes, love the set design. I love the way everything comes together. Uh, now you've seen this movie a lot of times. I, have. I I don't know that I could sit down and watch this a lot, but mm-hmm. I haven't tried it. Um, it, it seems to me something that it, it's something you have to put a lot of effort into understanding, sure, into uh, really getting. But there's also an allure to it that um, is all its own. It, I mean, just visually, it's going to draw you in no matter oh, what. Yeah. And you do have to do some, I, I wouldn't say mental gymnastics, but you do have to really understand the context and things to get that Keanu Reeves is is, is doing well in this. And um, to get that uh, Van Helsing's insanity is uh, a choice that Anthony Hopkins is making that really comes out well. Totally. So uh, for me, Knowing all those things, I really like this movie. I enjoy it. I will try to watch it again and and see. Maybe I, I just like you, will really just love watching it over and over and over. Um, so it's easy for me to give this uh, an eight, for yeah. sure. I think that's that's uh, a high eight. You could easily s- eight. that's a high eight of all eights. Like if if you were standing next to an eight, and then that eight came in the room, you'd be like, "Why is he taller than you?" <laughs> he just seems like a bigger eight. I don't yeah. know that that type of eight. What about you, Ben? What do you think about this? 
Man, I uh, I clearly just fucking love this movie. I, I think that the the content is is completely heartbreaking. I think that it's really a cool way to adapt that original source material and just uh-huh. kind of call away again what I thought was a lot of the boring bits out of the book uh-huh. and still keep that multi narrative point of view and stuff like that. I think it's a brilliant adaptation there. I love the devotion to the old school film techniques. I think that makes the movie so much cooler. Mm-hmm. And again, watching the special features really made me love this movie even more. And it's such a good repeat watcher, too, because there is so much subtle stuff in this movie that you simply don't get the first time, you know, well, first couple times for me that I watched it. Like, did you notice, okay, like in the scene where, like, Keanu Reeves is shaving and Dracula's in there with him? Uh Uh-huh. Did you notice how the walls of that room are really subtly closing in? You know what? I I didn't notice it in that scene, but I did. Well, actually, maybe it was that scene. I did notice that at a certain point in the castle yeah. that the walls seem to be moving in. Yeah, it's so subtle. And it's one of those things that like, that's what I love about this movie. That scene would have been just fine without that. It oh, would yeah. have been fine. But they went ahead and added that in. And other weird stuff, too, like whenever Dracula's reading his wife's, like, suicide note, mm-hmm. and they project that weird purple image of her, like, falling onto yes. the note. Like, why? Why do that? It would be fine without it. But I love how many cool ideas like that there are in this movie that do enhance it. Because, as I mentioned, what amuses me is seeing people's decisions being made that I would never think of. People zigging where I would zag. I love that. Next time you watch it, pay attention because I noticed it this time. Whenever Jonathan Harker is talking about uh, Dracula's um, gypsy uh, workers, he looks out the window and he looks down, and I'm pretty positive that the workers he's looking at are stop motion. Really? Yeah, just watch it again. Watch and see, because it, it, the way they moved, and I think they had to do it because of the angle out the window and things. They had to use miniatures and stop motion mm-hmm. to get that in-camera look. But just pay attention Weird. to it next time. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. That's really, really cool. Yeah, and just all the, again, all the decisions being made. The weird stuff about Lucy being filmed in reverse of her getting in and out of the uh-huh. coffin. Uh, there's a lot of stuff like that too with the uh, the wives of Dracula. That scene is really fucking. Oh freaky. yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah, they they go full fat bastard and eat a baby. <laughs> they do eat a fucking baby. <laughs> it's so it's so weird. Man. It's so less I, comical than in <laughs> Fat Bastard's case. Yeah, they they hadn't really perfected the edge of that kind of comedy by that point, you know. <laughs> I, I, I fucking love this movie. I really, really, really do. I can't think of a whole lot that I would say about it that I don't like. I, I love how surreal and dreamy and weird the movie is. There's so much stuff that goes by that's never explained. And you just watch it and you're like, what the fuck was that? Like like you mentioned, when he pulls the tears off her face and turns them into diamonds. What yeah. the fuck was that? Well, that scene where she drops like that little medicine bottle and like this third arm catches it out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. there's so much little stuff like that that is never explained you just see it happen and you go wait what and then the scene's moving on i love that kind of shit i think it's awesome um i went into this ready to be like oh it's a it's a fucking 10 it's one of my favorite movies ever Uh but you know what honestly this time around i did notice that 
Um, as I mentioned, very much like the book. I think once you get out of Dracula's castle and kind of the world building bit is sort of over, mm-hmm. it, it does drag a little bit. I do think that yeah. kind of like the the second act of the movie kind of plods along. Could have been used. Uh, could have had a little bit of little heavy editing, and maybe it's just because the movie comes at you so hot with all this weirdness, all these crazy visuals and crazy things going on right from the very top of the movie. That the second act, you're just kind of like settled in, and it's not like shocking and awing you anymore. Yeah, um, maybe that's part of it too. I don't know, but it does drag a little bit. But I still think, with that in consideration, man, I think that this movie is a it's a solid nine for Eller. So nine, yeah. That, I mean, I I can't I can't argue against that score. I mean, honestly, uh, it, it is really good. It's. Yeah. The I would even say that the the part where you're saying it drags could easily be explained by the fact that they spend most like I would say almost the entire first act setting up the A story and then they have this whole B story that they have to set up with Lucy and the three suitors and Van Helsing and so maybe we kind of get two first acts and so that's why it seems like it drags but you also you couldn't throw the Lucy and the three suitors stuff before the castle or it would just be boring as hell oh yeah totally so yeah that's a fair enough point they did have to introduce all those elements it had to go somewhere yeah and it's worth it it's worth it in the end now next week on the show we're going to be covering our next voter chosen pick for no vampire thank you guys so much for everyone who voted on this we're going to be watching from dusk till motherfucking dawn that's right quentin tarantino as an actor (laughs) actor yeah. Uh, I love this flick, so I look forward to talking about it with yeah, you. So be sure to tune in next week. In the meantime, uh, you guys be sure to go on iTunes, rate, and review this podcast. Uh, I've seen some new ones popping up here lately. We really, really appreciate that. Be sure to continue doing that. Rate, review the podcast. Use a G-rated review or else they will not post it, but it does help us out immensely. Steve, where can they be reaching us uh, to reach out and let us know how much they love us and send us pictures of their of their penises oh, and yeah. their balls? and recommend movies for us to watch. Yeah, so uh, number one, dick pick. Number two, ball pick. Number three, I guess movies you want us to watch. I don't know. <laughs> Priorities, uh, people. You can email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at deadlovelypod. And we have a Facebook group, uh, which is pretty active. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you can also find me on the Instagrams, the Twitter, at uh, Stephen Spratling. That's Stephen with a V, the only way to spell it. And you guys can track me down like a bloodhound by looking me up at Ben Eller Guitars on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. I uh, hope you guys tune in next week for Dust Till Dawn, and we'll be talking at you then. You guys have been absolutely divine, and we've been dead and lovely. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. The blood is the lie. I am the monster the breathing man would kill. (laughs) 